Welcome to DNA Today. I'm your host, Kira Deneen, and on this show, I inform you on what's happening in the genetic world. It's packed with news stories and lessons, all to keep you updated and educated on the ever-changing world of genetics. So today, I'm going to get into uh, talking about an event that I was part of on Wednesday and just kind of reiterating what I learned from it and um, really what, what was discussed. And I'm also going to get into a news story about epilepsy and the genetic component to that and what was discovered and what is in the new findings and what was published in the Journal of Science. So that's kind of a rundown for today's show, and I'm just going to jump right into it. So the event that I went to was called The Drama of DNA, and there were three genetic counselors there from Yukon Health Center, Brittany Gankar, Sharon Lavingi, and Robin Schwartz, and this session was in two parts. There was an enactment of genetic testing session, And then afterwards, an interactive discussion of fictional and real-life drama in the world of genetics. And I was part of the mini-play and played the sister. There was uh, the mom, the brother, and the sister, and then the doctor who was telling us the news and kind of going through things with us. And so the play was a mock meeting with this doctor and the family. And the brother had cancer, which brought the family in originally for the genetic testing. The doctor explains that a genome test called whole genome sequencing can be done for the brother, mother, and sister. And previous tests that they have done were testing for specific genes. But this newer test, the whole genome sequencing, finds the variation between the brother's genetics compared to the mom and sister's. So the family's given a bunch of paperwork to review, and it's kind of given this big stack. I'm like, oh, go read this. Let me know if you have any questions. Because, you know, you shouldn't, because it should be all very straightforward and that eight-point size font. But it explains the, how the test is going to find genetic markers in their genome. And how they're given a choice to learn the results of their genome sequencing. But there's no choice in learning the information if it has urgent importance to their health. So if it's something very significant that needs to be acted upon immediately or in the very, very near future, the doctor or genetic counselor, whoever's in that role of telling their news, they really need to include this information because it has urgent importance to their health. So that's something that they really can't choose, and that's kind of uh, – we in the, in the play, this was talked about quite a bit. Now, we flash forward three months, and the test results are reviewed again by the doctor. So at first, the doctor went over, all right, this is the test that I'm going to – this is the genetic sequencing test I'm going to have done. And now we fast forward three months, and now they're reviewing that results. And the, the interesting thing of how this little mock session went – is that the test had nothing conclusive for the brother with cancer. That was the whole reason the test was done in the first place. However, there was something alarming found in the sister's genome, and she is genetically predisposed to long QT syndrome. And I played the sister, which was kind of fun. And so she's just finding out about this, and she's a middle school student, so she really doesn't understand anything. It's very, you know, eighth grade level. And so just a little background information. Long QT syndrome is a heart rhythmic disorder that can potentially cause fast, chaotic heartbeats. And these rapid heartbeats may trigger a sudden fainting spell or seizure, which means it's really serious. you got to make sure that you're preventing this from happening because in some cases your heart may be erratically for so long that it can cause sudden death. So it's a very serious condition. 
And it's a disorder that may be caused by genetic mutation, just like, you know, me in the play. But it can also be caused by certain medications and other medical conditions. Luckily, it is treatable. As I said, a person affected by long QT may need to limit physical activity. There's even medication that they can take to prevent chaotic heart rhythm. And if it's more severe, a patient may require surgery or an implantable device, which is something else that was uh, mentioned in the play that uh, the things that might happen. Now, I keep mentioning this whole genome sequencing, and this is the test that the doctor orders. Now, here's a little background on what this is. So whole genome sequencing is known as a number of things. It's known as full genome sequencing, complete genome sequencing, or entire genome sequencing. So basically, it's you're taking the entire genome and sequencing it, and that's why it has all of these all-encompassing names. And it's a laboratory process that determines the complete DNA sequence of an organism's genome at a single time. So this entails sequencing of an organism's chromosomal DNA, as well as their mitochondrial DNA, if they're a plant, even their chloroplast DNA. And this is a research, research tool that is currently being introduced into clinics. And as per, personalized medicine is taking off, which I'm talking about, I think, every episode at this point, the whole genome sequencing will be a vital tool in this personalized medicine because we're picking up the variations in someone's genome that differs from the general population or healthy person and really figuring out what genes they have that are different from others. And because of those differences, maybe these medications would work better for this group of people that have these genetic differences. So there's a lot of things that we can learn from this mock interaction. I really kind of breeze through what happened, but you get the general gist of the play of how the brother went in because he has cancer and they're looking for more information on how to treat this, maybe even how to cure this. And they're using the mother and sister's genome to be sequenced so they can find variations between the brothers and the sisters and mothers because sister and mom are, you know, going in as healthy people. Um, But it ends up that they find something that they didn't, they weren't looking for, which is something I'm going to get into later. But another big thing is that it's showing the value of a genetic counselor. So I didn't mention this, but the doctor was not clear in explaining why they were choosing the test, what the results meant, and finally what their next step was in the process. Genetic counselors are trained to do all three of these things, being clear in explaining why the tests were run, what the results mean, and finally what the next step is in the process. That's very, very key. And they're, um, they're like the guide for patients through their journey of being tested as well as providing information for the patients to make decisions based on those test results. They're not supposed to make the decisions for them in any way, but they're supposed to provide them with all the information to make sure they really understand this information so they can make an educated decision. And one quote from the play that catalyzed a lot of discussion uh, was one that I asked my character, and I just mentioned this, how did you find something you didn't even look for? And this is kind of a mind-boggling thing that, especially in someone who before this test was thought to be healthy, the sister went in just being healthy. Her brother was the one that was unhealthy with cancer, and he was the original reason for ordering the whole genome test, the whole genome sequencing test. But the end of the session, we're talking about the sister's genome and the how she's predisposed to long QT. So the family had expectations of learning more about the brother's cancer, and they got something else, results that impacted someone else's life. Obviously, it has a ripple effect that it's affecting the sister's life. It's going to affect the mother's life and brother's and, and so on. But Sometimes there's information they don't want to know um, that they get from these test results, and they didn't want to learn this, but 
you can't, the doctor can't withhold this information because in the play, the sister was a very active, competitive swimmer. So she couldn't go on, keep competitively swimming because she was at risk of, you know, having her heart beat erratically and that could even cause sudden death. So they have to protect her. They can't keep this information from her. So this unexpected information can be urgent, just like in this case. And doctors and general counselors need to warn them. While others, maybe you're not as vital. That's something, it's not like you can prevent it right away or it, it doesn't have um, an impertinent impact at the moment. But the real question is where that line is drawn between the two. And, you know, it, how do we determine if something is very, very high risk and going to impact someone right now versus something that's, yeah, there's, there's, it's risky, but it's not, it's not really harmful. And it, there, there's a whole lot of area of gray and figuring out kind of distinguishing where that line is drawn is, is very difficult. And on another layer to the whole genetic counseling in this session is for the person giving the news, um, hopefully a genetic counselor, um, is assessing the family dynamics while in the session with the family. And so that they can handle the situation with as much care as it can. That's really their responsibility. And if in, in the play, the sister is excused from the meeting so that the doctor can talk to the mom about her. And But she's not really given a lot of information. She's like, oh, there, there's something with your genome, something with your results. I need to talk with your mother. Like, please leave. And that was kind of alarming because, as you know, as a middle schooler, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? Like, am I going to die? Do I have cancer like my brother? And so that in the play was not handled correctly. It wasn't handled with care. And so it's it's the job of the genetic counselor or the doctor, whoever is giving this news, to make sure that everybody is kind of uh, taken care of and that they're not just kind of um, thrown to the side. Also in the play, the brother who has cancer, that's the whole reason this genome was, this genome test was done, but they're like, ah, couldn't find anything for you. And now they're just talking about the sister where he's sitting there like, what's going to happen to me? What's my next step? So it's really being, looking at everybody there and making sure you're, you're treating everybody. And it's, it's a diff, it's a difficult role. But to be a genetic counselor, you're not expected, nor could you even if you wanted to, memorize every genetic disease, what the symptoms are, how they're inherited, and so forth. But instead, genetic counselors use this resource and other genetic counselors uh, in other fields as a support system. So this is not to say they don't know plenty of genetic diseases. They, 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 know, they know a lot, but the main part of their job is being a filter of information for patients. So patients do not need to know every detail um, but more of an overall view of understanding a concept. And from there, genetic counselors can help guide through a management plan if they're just diagnosed with a genetic disorder. If they're still in the unknown, they can help them with the next step of the process. And it's very important for patients to leave with some sort of plan, as I keep saying, so they don't feel hopeless or that they don't really know what to expect. They're, they're very uncertain. And having that plan, even if it's, if it's let's have another meeting and, and, three months, six months to go over this information or see if there's more to do. As long as there is a plan, that is key. And it's also vital for genetic counselors to express their availability with the patient and that they can review this information once again. Um, And oftentimes people meet with genetic counselors when they have just received horrible, terrible news. So they're not in a right state of mind to review the information and make decisions. So in this case, it's good to start with 
you know, you can call me tomorrow to review this information. That way they don't feel pressured during the session after hearing the bad news. And they know that, all right, I'm just going to kind of like take in as much as I can, but I know I don't need to take all this in. I can call the genetic counselor later, set up a further meeting. I have these pamphlets with information and, and whatever the genetic counselor provides them. And again, they can have, genetic counselors can have multiple sessions with patients to take the information by step by step. So even if it's, there's a lot of information to cover with them, they can say, you know what, let's talk about this today and next week or next meeting we'll talk about the, the next part of the process or more of a decision-making part of the process. That way you're not overwhelming them with one visit. Uh, so this is kind of the information I took out of the session and just really realizing how important the role of genetic counselors are in receiving news, ordering tests. The, the doctor in the play uh, didn't really understand why they were ordering tests or they were kind of just taking a stab in the dark of like, all right, this test should be good. Let's see what happens with this. Whereas genetic counselors are trained to know, picking up on symptoms and, okay, this is, this seems to be this form of inheritance. Let's order this test. And if these are the results, then we know X, Y, Z. So they're, they're way more trained in this. This is, this is their job as doctors uh, are trained in other things and, and not specifically genetics. And what I want to, uh, uh, end this little, uh, overview of the the drama of DNA session um, is a quote that was on the flyer and it's by Karen H. Rothenberg and Lynn W. Bush uh, back in or not back in <laughs> 2014 here and um, so this is the quote many challenges surround the promise of genomic technology and the power of genomic information as they alter conceptions of identity and dynamics within personal familia and professional relationships Controversial issues abound, such as determining whether, what, to whom, when, and how genetic information should be disclosed to individuals and their families, and whose voices matter in making these determinations. So this is a lot of what I've just touched upon, that there is nothing straightforward in genetics, at least not right now, and I can't imagine when it will be, but understanding the relationships between things and all of the controversial issues that come with it of who are we telling, who deserves to know this information, what should it be publicly available, can companies find out about this if a company finds out that someone is predisposed to a genetic disorder, are they going to be less likely to hire them over someone that, you know, seems to be healthy and would definitely be able to work at the company for a long time. So that's just one example of like, how these genomic testings can affect things on a very large scale. There's also things of what, as I talked about before, of what things that we are required as, um, as doctors and genetic counselors are required to tell people versus keeping that information private to them. If they don't want to know they're getting Alzheimer's, then why should they find out that information early? Or... Do we need to tell them this? Should it be that they have to know this information so they can prepare themselves? So right now, most of those things are a personal decision. This could change, but I don't really see it changing, but it, it could. And there's a lot of controversial issues that go with all of this. And again, the quote, in whose voices matter in making these determinations. So lots of layers of this. So I'm going to jump into the news now. We have one story for today, and it's about epilepsy. 
And scientists have discovered a new gene for the, a devastating form of epilepsy. And I mentioned a lot, whole genome sequencing. And this is, again, a method that determines the complete DNA sequence of an organism's genome at a single time. This is including DNA found in the mitochondria as well as chromosomes. And if it's a plant, chloroplast DNA. Now, whole genome sequencing is how the scientists discovered this new gene, which is now associated um, progressive monocleosis epilepsy, or M, sorry, or PME. And this is one of the most devastating forms of epilepsy that emerges in early childhood and can result in early death. And PME is severe and rare, and the, and it's kind of in a range. These are uh, different forms of epilepsy, and it frequently arises from hereditary metabolic disorders. And these core symptoms include epileptic seizures, debilitating involuntary muscle twitching, muscle rigidity, uh, unsteadiness, and mental deterioration, um, and are often present as well. So a lot of symptoms that are very severe. The journal Nature Genetics reported the international team's findings from this study. And the team members uh, were from University of Helsinki. And in Finland and the University of Melbourne and South Australia. And the team found a previous unknown mutation in a potassium ion channel gene called KCNC1. And this was present in 13% of the MPE patients. So to find these results, the international team recruited 84 patients with PME of unknown cause and used DNA sequencing to identify potential genetic causes of the disorder. So they're sequencing their DNA and figuring out, all right, what looks different? And what, what do they have? What variations do they have in common? That, uh, that's a pretty common method of finding genes that are associated with a disease by taking a bunch of patients' DNA with the same disease and looking at what they have in common, what variations they have in common. So new modern DNA sequencing techniques have changed and they're amping up genetic research of rare severe diseases of what I just explained. And in this case, the team used technology to sequence the coding parts of the genome. These are the parts that actually code for proteins. And believe it or not, this is a very small part of our DNA that's actually coding for proteins and end up being proteins. Now, the results identified uh, genetic causes in nearly a third of BME patients. And uh, this ended up being 26 out of the 84 patients. The other discovery I mentioned was that 13% of PME cases had previously unknown mutations of potassium ion channel genes. And it is worth noting that this mutation discovered was a de novo mutation. And this means the mutation was not inherited from the patient's biological parents. De novo or new mutations are errors that occur in cell division or in the copying of genetic material. So they emerge in the germ cell of one of the parents. So it could be the um, it could be the unfertilized egg or the sperm, or even in the fertilized egg later in the process. Uh, every person has dozens of these mutations. It's this is not a uh, abnormal thing. Uh, people have a lot of mutations from this, but rarely do they cause disease. Again, we have 3.2 billion base pairs in our genome. So you know, a dozen mutations is really not going to have an effect most in most cases. So the research estimates that this mutation occurs in about one in every 5.7 million conceptions. 
So that sounds like, wow, that is so rare. And it is. But if you look on the global scale, that means hundreds of uh, PME patients could have this mutation. Author and principal investigator Professor Anna Elena Lehoszczowski says that the mutation site is an example of a mutation hotspot of the genome. So this means a DNA nucleotide, which is more prone for alterations. A hotspot is like, oh, this is this is probably going to get more mutations than other areas. It's, it's more prone to those alterations. And this KCNC1 mutation holds a potassium ion channel in the brain cells. And the channel is called KV31. And it plays an important part in the signal transmission in the brain. So when this is not working properly, then seizures, seizures can occur. And the concentration of ions are not different enough when creating a voltage difference. Um, the whole point of the uh, ion channel is to let ions through and it's going sometimes with its concentration gradient. And basically, you have different ions outside of the cell, different concentration of ions outside the cell than inside. And that's what's creating a voltage difference. So if, this constant, if these concentrations are messed with, and it can then um, have not have a good enough voltage difference, and therefore an electrical difference, and then the ion channel isn't having ions flow through it the way it should be and and everything kind of gets messed up and so the uh signal transmissions in the brain are then messed up because that's how it's happening at different concentrations and the concentrations being able to have the right relationship and proportion to each other so the researchers suggest the effective mutation is to reduce inhibitory signals making patients susceptible to epileptic seizures and myoclonus starting in childhood. Now, the mutation also leads to degeneration of the cerebellum, and that's a region of the brain that plays an important role in movement control. Uh, it's right at the bottom of your head, kind of the top of your neck there. And a subtle um, cognitive decline in some cases, too. But the most promising part of this news story is that the drugs that restore function in this ion channel may already exist which is really exciting because if we identify uh, this is what we think is happening in this disorder and there's a drug that may combat what's happening, that's when those two can merge together and, and hopefully really uh, go towards the treatment of people with this disorder. And Professor uh, Anna Alina um, says because the mutation occurs in a well-known ion channel, that there's lots of research about that ion channel, there's hope of developing therapy that can target this. Quote, there are anti-epileptic drugs in the market that target other similar ion channels and follow-up research aims to discover a way to rescue the function of the channel in PME patients. So she, she's hopeful that this research can then be matched with drugs that work for this ion channel and PME patients may see awesome results that they really uh, are not having seizures anymore and that would have huge impact on, you know, everyone that has this disorder. And a team from John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, discovered new clues about the condition that stem from faulty ion channels, such as cardiac uh, arrhythmias, epilepsy, and Parkinson's disease. And the discovery relates to a common protein um, that the team plays a different role than previously thought in the opening and closing of the channels that lets ions in and out of cells. So this uh, this protein is able to um, 
really regulate the opening and closings of the ion channel, which is really necessary for this disorder when it's not working. If you introduce a protein that can regulate a process that is not being regulated, that is prime. And uh, hopefully that that would be able to work. That's it for today's episode of DNA Today. You can tune in next week, Monday at 1 p.m. on whus.org or 91.7 FM to learn more about genetics. DNA Podcast is a great resource. I suggest everyone go to it. Uh, It's full of content, including all episodes that I've broadcast on here, as well as little mini lessons and uh, debates and and great stuff on there um, to expand your genetic knowledge. There's only so much I can do in half an hour. So definitely check out the website. There's all kinds of uh, resources also that you can check out um, from all kinds of institutions. So I've uh, compiled a good list there. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the pod, uh, the show, which is kind of also a podcast, um, at DNA Podcast, or you can follow me on Twitter, or you can do both. Um, I'm at K-I-R-A-D-I-N-E-E-N. And if you have any questions you want answered on air or just not answered on air, just through email, you can shoot me an email at info at dnapodcast.com. Again, that's info at dnapodcast.com. I love getting questions. If you have a question about a certain topic or you want me to go over something on air, I love hearing your feedback. Even if you're just like, hey, I listened to your show. It sounds awesome. Uh, it definitely brightens my day. So so please send those in. Um, I'm happy to answer any and all questions. So, And also, uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Uh, exciting time and enjoy time with your family and just, you know, having hopefully a couple days off here. Thanks for listening and join me next week, Monday at 1 p.m. to learn and discover new advances in the world of genetics. The genes of you and me, genes of you, and we're all made of DNA. We're all made of the same chemical DNA.